Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. I'm here with Stephanie Hamlet. Am I saying that right, Stephanie? You are. Hi, Larry. Hey, thanks for taking time from your busy, busy schedule and uh, uh, all the things you've got going on, one of which we were just talking about is a podcast. And since since I've brought it up, let's get it on the table if people want to go and follow up after this. Your podcast, you do you say with your husband? Yes, it's called Mindset Matters, and it's a sub of uh, the Everyday Millionaire podcast. Okay. And so what uh, I'm curious about is what can we, uh, let's go ahead and bang the piano keys and do what high achievers despise doing, and that is toot your own horn. And so, uh, you know, because we always have the thing, it's not us, it's the people around us, we were fortunate. But on the other hand, things got done. So in terms of perspective, how about sharing people uh, Take your your humility thing down for a minute. And how about sharing people, uh, uh, just give them a a little insight of some of the amazing things you've been able to do in your life and which forms, along with everything else, forms the foundation of what your, uh, you know, your knowledge base, your experience base and, uh, uh, you know, your operating principles going forward. So exactly, where, where do you come from? What have you done? Well, how far back do you want me to go? I mean, I could go back as far as, you know. We want the exciting stuff. So the exciting (laughs) stuff is far back. Let's go. Okay. Well, I'm a three-time Olympic coach, mental performance coach um, in uh, Torino in 06, Pyeongchang in 18, and just recently off the Beijing Olympics in 2022 as a mental performance coach in ice dance at this point, um, whereby um, I am the coach, uh, mental performance coach of the Olympic current Olympic champions and the current Olympic bronze medalists, uh, also the current world champion, silver medalists and bronze medalists in the, in the realm of ice dance. I'm an NHL, NHL skating coach. I was for 15 years, nine with the Edmonton Oilers, four and a bit with the St. Louis Blues. And I had the opportunity to work with some of the best ice hockey players in the world. But what I realized is that it wasn't just what they were doing on the ice. It was their mindset that was in the way or it was the mindset that was taking them to the next level. And before that, I run businesses. Uh, My husband and I own several companies. I invest in real estate. Uh, I am a mindset coach for world-class Olympic athletes, real estate investors, high net worth clients, and anyone who really wants to take their life, not just their business, but who they're being in their life to the next level. Thanks so much. And uh, uh, the thing that we can put on the table is the fact that it's been uh, a revolution over the recent decades of sports uh, coaching, uh, the elite levels realizing the importance of having uh, coaches that can talk to you about getting your mind right, staying on track, mental toughness. Uh, and, you know, there's been going on a long time, a lot of books on it forever, but in terms of being a specialty and making that, you know, it was poo-pooed for the longest period of time, you know, oh, great. We're going to have some guru in here and, 
ooh, you know, and hypnotize you or something. Just get your ass out there and uh, get the job done. But the thing is that when you're out there getting the job done, unfortunately, your brain keeps working. And, (laughs) you know, you have this feeder thing in there that you can't control. And sometimes into that conveyor belt of thoughts comes negative stuff. And it's like, you know, it's just like you're in the heat of the battle and it's a little late to start uh, figuring out how you're going to do with that. Because when the thought comes in here, it's going to affect to some degree. And the deal is in the elite level, uh, I'm selling what you do. Okay. At the elite level, the uh, the thing is the uh, uh, fine line. We always know there's a fine line between mediocrity and greatness, but it's such a fine, 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 fine line. Like uh, Michaela Sheffrin uh, finished second in a uh, slalom, I think, uh, or the last World Cup slalom for five weeks this past weekend. She lost it like one hundredth of a second. And, uh, you know, what she, she? of course, she's smart enough not to be upset about it. She said, all I know is I skied great. And what's her name? She she found a little bit of line. She maybe, God bless her. You know, she, I'm happy for her, you know. And so the thing is, at the top level, uh, we've known all along for every position out there, there's at least a thousand people that have the physical ability to do it. And it's the mental control, mental strength. That makes a difference. Even Jack Nicholas coming up as a uh, young golfer, uh, you know, he played in a tournament and his first big tournament and Ben Hogan, he overheard in the locker room, Ben Hogan talking to one of the other golfers said, yeah, that big kid from Ohio, he said, if he ever learns how to think his way around the course, he'll be dangerous, you know, but, uh, and, and that was just a light bulb went off in Nicholas's head because up to that time, you know, he's just trying to uh, groove the strokes one at a time. And uh, the, the idea of thinking his way around the course just was something hadn't thought about. So I imagine uh, there's I imagine there's a lot more acceptance for, for what you're doing now than there was in the beginning. Oh, especially back in the day, you know, in ice hockey, I wasn't really the most common looking person walking in the dressing room. Um, so I really had to earn my way in. And that was uh, using the vehicle of skating where I could actually live in their world from a level of credibility and never really ever wanting to be one of the guys. And I think that's what happened at the beginning is that I was able to really see who they were and what was going on and speak to them in their language. My mentor was my uh, sports psychology uh, professor at the University of Alberta. He happened to also work with the Edmonton Oilers at the same time. And he taught me a lot of lessons is that when you're dealing with an athlete, you're also dealing with his physical ability, yes, but also the mental ability. But the emotional capacity is really what is connected to the way they think. And so I started very early on understanding that the emotional resilience and the emotional quotient was just as important as their uh, physical ability. They had trainers, they have nutritionists, they have all the people in the world surrounding them, but they were afraid of sports psychologists. And back in the day, the sports psychologist also had to report to the general manager. So a lot of the players were afraid. They didn't want to have that confidentiality broken. So what I was able to do was kind of carve out a space for the players where they were able to talk to me while we were skating, doing things um, that they were relating to, getting faster, you know, stopping on a dime, those types of things. So I was able to use the on-ice 
uh, vehicle to really open up that level of trust so that they would start to tell me and talk to me about what was going on. So emotionally, I could help them start to remove the blocks, mentally teach them how to focus, access their um, adversity quotient and their ability to be resilient, and at the same time, keep their emotions in check. So I took the physical, the mental, and the emotional, wrapped it all around them, and then started to treat them like uh, the champions that they were, and they started to elevate. Now, nothing causes you to your credibility to increase like success. And can you think back to some early successes you had in dealing with individuals that caused you to gain wider acceptance and people say, yeah, we've got to have this as part of our program? Yeah, I, I can actually. And I think because I just kept my my nose down and, uh, you know, Glenn Sather, who was our, our uh, general manager at the time, said, keep your pants on, your nose clean and your mouth shut and you will gain credibility. For those of you who are sick and tired of fooling around and are dead serious about wanting to move up fast, I've got something especially for you. I've combined the best insights from over 40 years in business and making $70 million in income and compress them into a free webinar. That's right. It's a free resource. If you want to find out exactly what the concepts are that I use in coaching million dollar earners, register now at widelonwinning.com. You'll discover the five-part framework used by so many to reach their financial, personal, and professional goals. You can find that link in this episode's show notes. And so uh, talk about some of those experiences. And, and was it a surprise to you to the extent that it happened at all? Well, ultimately, um, being a female in a man's sport back in the day was not really common. And so the players didn't quite know what my role was going to be. So I had to earn my respect one player at a time. So as I was working with players coming off of injury or working with the physiotherapists and helping them gain their strength back after injury, et cetera, I started to find that the players were having more success in, in how they were showing up. They were getting more goals. They were moving from the fourth line to the third line to the first line. And people were starting to notice. And because I was staying true to my own values and I wasn't compromising, I wasn't going out and partying at night, I wasn't doing the things that some other women in a men's sport tend to be um, criticized for. I really stayed in my own bubble. And because of that, the results were starting to connect to me. Um, and I was also, there would be times where the media would come and ask me what I was doing, what's my secret. And the code in, in professional sport is someone like me doesn't speak to the media. So I had to let the player's results speak for me which was a bit of an interesting disconnect because again, like you said at the beginning of the podcast is that we're trained to be humble and have that level of humility. And I was trained right from the start is never blow your own horn. Don't tell everybody how great you are. Let your results, let the players spread your rumors for you. And that's what happened. And as I started to want to retire and leave the, the, the NHL world, I was getting married. I wanted to, to you know, move on in my life. And I thought I'm going to go you know, rock it in the business world. So I used that credibility in a sense and let them spread the rumors for me and then started to train as a mental performance coach and realized that what I had done in the NHL was really wrap the emotional and intellectual mental resilience, not just around the players, but around myself, because I had to bang into a lot of things. If you can imagine the barriers that I had to overcome in the sense of, you know, proving myself, but not being able to tell everybody how great I was. Yeah. And when you say 
bang into barriers. That means there's some pretty significant barriers out there. But what, give us a, uh, you know, when you say that, what's the first type things that jump into your mind? Well, I didn't realize that being a, a woman in NHL was going to be an issue. And being the first woman on a paid contract, I mean, that was pretty cool. But I didn't even realize that until about four, four or five years ago when I was interviewed. And they said, well, weren't you the first paid female? I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I was. So now it's very common. Now it's very uh, appropriate. Now it's very encouraged. But then it was like, well, if you're in that world, you must be in it for a husband. Or you must be in right. it for something else. There was always a, a storyline around why I would have been in this sport, except for the fact that my passion was about really helping people elevate themselves, not just in their skill level, but who they're being as a human being. In those, in their cases, as a husband, as a as a as a business owner, I started to teach them to treat their hockey as a business so that they could get themselves supported for that transition leaving hockey. So that was also a barrier because at one point they didn't want to talk about the future. They just want to talk about the here and the now. Anything else was superstitious. So I got really, really hammered on that one. There was one situation where I was working with a young player, bringing him back off of a knee injury, doing rehab with the physiotherapist, with the medical team. And I had made a comment and how well he was doing. Well, he then took that to his agent and his agent then went to the general manager and said, Stephanie says, I'm ready to be put back in the lineup. <laughs> and I, You know what? I learned very early that Stephanie doesn't say anything like that. And I certainly didn't. I was just giving him encouragement. Right. So I had to learn about how to use my language in a way that didn't create those barriers. So let's talk about, you know, people listen to this podcast for takeaways and Takeaways that you can get that, uh, you know, I don't know how conscious you are of what you did write early on, but I think you do. And that is that uh, those temptations are always there to get sidetracked. Now, very easy, you know, when you're in a hard partying uh, environment where they make a lot of money, they've got a lot of off time. A lot of goofy people there, you know, especially when they're off the ice, you know, they're playing video games and, you know, that's what, you know, the locker room activity with uh, jocks is, uh, you know, not not the most uh, uh, sanitary or. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, oh, you're saying uh, that so kindly. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like dealing with a bunch of toddlers in many sense, you know, that are out of control and superhuman strong and. Uh, and uh, been treated like prima donnas their whole life. So real easy to get sucked into doing things. Let's just say really easy to get sucked into doing things that you know that are over the line. Then pretty soon you're doing that every night of the week. And then pretty soon, no matter what kind of success you've had, you're off track. But that can happen to you in any business. I mean, as soon as you start to have success, temptations show up. And if you stay in your bubble, if you keep your head down, these are the people that wind up with a long-term careers. And it's like, I've, I've told people, I recognize this early on uh, in uh, my career, it's the people with the long view rather than the short view. The short view is, I want to get a paycheck, I want to get a pay raise, you know, I, I, you know, I'm so excited, I want to win this award. But they're not thinking, they're, you're not thinking what we call like running through the finish line, like you know, the opportunities that are beyond that are probably going to be multiple bigger than what you're doing right now. So what you've done, you took that opportunity. I want to find out how you even got that opportunity, but 
you took that opportunity, you kept your head down, focused on doing that, and just stayed in your group. Now, you know, what's happened is not only turned into a long-term career, you got podcasts, you got books, you've got, you know, speaking things, you've got, uh, you know, other business opportunities. And that's the thing about staying focused, running through the finish line, not getting sidetracked, not looking over your shoulder, not taking a break, uh, you know, letting up before the finish line, you know, running through it, it's the opportunities that are on the other side are so staggeringly bigger than anything you can see before you finish the uh, finish line. Because I would imagine you had no idea the kind of doors that would open uh, for you. You know, you're just trying to finish the season, keep your job. Am I right? So true. You know, they, you know, the term delayed gratification, you know, has really come back around when I look back and thinking about, you know, what was I really in it for? And, you know, I was stuck true to my values. I was raised by a very powerful woman who who did the same thing in business. She was, you know, the first woman to ever be invited to a dinner of, you know, IBM and all the big computer things back in the day. And she really held her own. And, and I think I saw that and, and modeled that in a way, but it was unconscious. And when I realized that I could do something that I love to do, I was only really good at two things, skating and talking. So I thought, well, how can I create a business with skating and talking and see how far I can go and then allow whatever opportunities were going to show up out of that? So if I got out of my role of skating and talking, and like you say, look over your shoulder and find those distractions, I would get smacked back really fast. And, you know, if I was out of my values, out of integrity, you know, I would roll my ankle or I, my car would get dinged. And I was like, you know, there's these things that are showing up that when I'm not being true to myself or not being true to who I say I'm being, especially in the dressing room, I got tested, Larry, like crazy. My first year at training camp, I went to go grab my skates and we were just doing a warm up session off the ice and they had somebody had uh, squirt, squirted um, whipping cream in my, in my skates. So when I went to put them on, yeah. it, oh, I mean, I got, right. I got tested. I got razzed. I got Every level, you know, one day I walked in the dressing room and I would always announce myself and I'd go, girl, coming in, woman. And they would just all of a sudden cover themselves and it was great. But one day they thought it would be really funny when I announced myself to right. come in because I had to go through in order to get to the trainer's room. They all stood up and they dropped their towels. Yeah. You know, so, but because I didn't bite, I didn't freak out, I didn't scream, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I just was like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I see done, guys. Yeah. I just was chill in those moments that they was like, we can't get to her. So they yeah. finally stopped. You they did take all the fun testing. out of that. That would have been, I'm sure they thought they had you that time. <laughs> they really did. And you know what? I just, I would, you know, shaking inside, but it wasn't really important. It was really important to me not to show it because it was more important to me to get to the, to the back room, to work with the players that I needed to work with rather than let them get to me that way. And I think over time, over the nine years I with Edmonton, they really saw that I was the same on the ice, off the ice, at a, at a Christmas party, if we would run into each other at restaurants, I'm exactly the same person. So they yeah. started to trust that. And that is what that golden thread started to weave when I wanted to retire, become a speaker, and I wanted to train as a mental performance yeah. coach. I thought I was going to get out of sport. I really did. Right. Well, the uh, first of all, let me just say, since it was, they probably already had a ton of respect for you uh, by what they chose to put in your skates. Because knowing a locker room, there's a whole lot of oh yeah, whole lot of nastier stuff they could have stuck in those skates. Isn't that the truth? 
Hey, was Gretzky with the uh, Oilers during that time? No, he left in 88. I didn't start till 90, so I didn't have the privilege. But I did get a chance to work with him in a project in uh, in the late 2000s um, in Arizona when he was with Phoenix and uh, the Coyotes. And we did a, a long-term project together called Thermoblade. And uh, that was sort of a bucket list thing for me. When, when he left, um, I was actually in Edmonton when he came to Edmonton with um, Peter Pocklington. And then my goal was to always work in the NHL. And I thought I was going to be a coach, but... My dad's like, okay, well, you could do that. You could do that. Or you could, you know, find a different way to, to move into the NHL. And, and I thought I'd just get there before Gretzky left. And I missed him by two seasons. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.